Father, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks truth to us, Father. God, I pray that we would hear the truth this morning and that we would respond, God, that we would be changed. And Lord, I pray that this morning you would allow me to speak clearly, Father. I pray that Nydia would translate and speak clearly, Father. And that you would use our body, that you would use this church to demonstrate you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. So once a year, we try to do at least one sermon that touches on the topic of money in some way. And so this morning I'm going to talk about greed and generosity. And the one thing I want you to know is that we're not preaching about this stuff because we're trying to make you give more. Okay, our church has enough money, our finances are fine. But it's a topic that's talked about a lot in the Bible. And it could be uncomfortable to talk about greed. It could be uncomfortable to examine how generous are you really. And just maybe, if you feel a little bit uncomfortable this morning, it's not because of the topic itself. Maybe it's because the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you something. So before we get into the sermon, I'd like to... I'd like to hear from you. How would you define greed? Raise your hand. When you think of greed, if you were to try to explain it to somebody, how would you explain it? This is the interact. April? Self gain. Okay. Wanda, what was that? Somebody who wants everything. Manny? Never satisfied. Never satisfied. Yeah, maybe you're you're gathering stuff because you're afraid, right? Right. So so Wanda's saying maybe greed is somebody who's fearful, so you're holding on to stuff. Yeah, so let me give you what I think. Oh, did you have something, Elvis? Yeah, wanting more than, than what God's provided for you or what you need. So here's what I think a good biblical definition of greed is. A strong, selfish desire to have more of something or pursuing your own interests with complete disregard 
for others, for the rights of others, and even for the consideration of common humanity. Now, notice how this definition goes beyond money. Right? When I think of greed, I think of somebody with all this money and hoarding it for themselves. But if we go by this definition, you can be greedy with your time. You can be greedy with possessions. You can be greedy in your attitudes. And one thing to note here is that the sin of greed it's not just a personal sin that impacts your relationship with God but it actually impacts others around you now about 15 years ago maybe 15 and a half my daughter Naomi was 6-7 months old and I used to wake up every morning and where I was going to work I had to wear a suit every day and so I'd wake up in the morning I'd get on my suit I'd get on my nice pressed dress shirt and sometimes Bonnie would be up in the morning with Naomi and I'd like to hold Naomi for a little bit before I went to work and I remember holding her one morning and you know when you're six months old you wear those little onesies and I was holding her spent about 20 minutes with her set her down put on my suit coat and I went to work and I'm in a room with a bunch of other auditors who I work with probably six or seven I go and I sit down everyone's kind of looking at me funny people are staring at me people are putting their heads down just kind of working away I'm thinking this is kind of bizarre then the boss comes in El Jefe sits down looks at me Trent we got to talk can you come out of the room real quick I thought I was in trouble she goes you have something on your shirt I go what do you mean I look down, massive diarrhea splash all over the side of me. So Naomi had an explosion while I was holding her. I didn't notice. And I'm sitting in a room for an hour. People are staring at the diarrhea on my arm it's out there for everybody to see but yet no one says a word and I think that's a lot like greed in the church do you realize that one third of the parables that Jesus shared spoke about money the accumulation of possessions and greed 
When was the last time you've ever had a conversation with another believer about either struggling with greed or pointing it out in somebody else's life? And I bet for most of you, it's never. It's like the diary on the shirt that nobody talks about. Now, if Jesus spent a lot of time talking about this, if it was a problem 2,000 years ago, it's still a problem today. And let me just share some general statistics with you. Okay, now I'm an accountant. And just know that statistics, when you share a statistic, it's a general thing. It doesn't apply to every church. It doesn't apply to every situation. But it can help give us some insight. Okay, so... On average, in America, and America is the wealthiest church in the world, right? Let's just put that out there. We're the wealthiest nation in the world. Regular givers, people who give on a regular basis, account for 10 to 25% of the congregation. Okay, so 10% of our congregation would be... Can you three... Can you, this front row stand up? Marcelo, can you stand up? So, in any given congregation, a congregation of, ice, of our size, about this many people give regularly. Okay, gracias. We live in the wealthiest country in the world, and on average, churchgoers give 2.5% of their income. And for families making more than $75,000 a year, only 1% actually give 10% or more of their income. Okay. Churches on average, and again, I'm just talking in general, doesn't necessarily apply to a church you've been to or our church, but just in general, in the U.S., spend 80% of their budget, 80% of everything that comes in on the building, salaries, and administrative costs. And on average, churches spend 1% of their budget on the poor. Now, if five minutes from now, 
Ok, ahora pónganse a pensar desde cinco minutos de ahorita. Jesus is knocking on that door. And I open the door and let him in. And he says, let me see the records. How much are you spending on the poor? On the oppressed? On the needy? I said, oh, oh, we... We take in about $140,000 a year and we manage to spend $1,500 of what we took in on those that you came to spend most of your time with. That would be a sad day, wouldn't it? You see, greed in the church it's a silent killer. It makes us less effective. It makes us seem like hypocrites. For years, my dad has never wanted to go to church. Because he says, All they do is ask for money and never do anything with it. They're the same problem 2,000 years ago. Now, turn with me to James. I want to go to the book of James. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read it in English and then Nidia's going to read it in Spanish and I'm going to add some context. Okay, now James is giving a warning here. It says, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who moved your fields are crying out against you. The cries of your harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Now, when James was writing this, this was an agrarian society or a society that was built around farming. And so, the really rich people of that time were people that owned a lot of land. Right? It was large landowners. And these landowners needed their fields to be worked by laborers. Now, if you were a large landowner back then, it's likely you were a Jewish male. You were the oldest son. 
Right, you got double of what everyone else got. And you were in that position, not because you were so great, not because you were so smart, but because you had this massive amount of land that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. It's not that much unlike my situation. I'm a white male, college educated, U.S. citizenship. Not because of anything that I'm done. I'm in this position of privilege, aren't I? Things come a lot easier for me than they do for people who don't have that same amount of privilege from birth. And what these landowners were doing, because of their greed, they were oppressing the poor. They were failing to pay fair wages to the workers. And they were taking this accumulation and they were hoarding it. And James is writing this to poor believers. To believers that, that don't have resources. And he's trying to do two things here. First, He's warning the rich who are greedy. He's warning them. He's saying, hey, your destruction, your misery is coming. There's going to be a day when everything that you've accumulated is going to rot. And then at the same time, he's encouraging the worker that's being oppressed here. He's saying, don't worry about the rich oppressor. Judgment's going to come. I'm going to take care of it. Persevere in righteousness without envying the rich. Continue following God without envying the rich. Now, one thing I want to point out is James isn't saying that wealth is evil or bad. The problem here with these rich people that James is addressing is that they're oppressing the poor. They're getting rich by not paying fair wages to others. It's because of this selfish desire, this greed that's manifesting itself. Now, that same problem, what is happening back then, it's still happening today. And there was an economic system that was set up back then to protect a small few that hurt others. Today, I would argue we have an economic system that benefits the few at the expense of others. 
que, que está cobrando los demás. En América hoy, en los Estados Unidos, 1% of the population has 40% of the wealth. Think about that. 1% has 40% of the wealth of the entire nation. Do you think there's a chance that there's folks in that 1% that have benefited off of the backs of the poor. And it's this 1% that's running the government. Y ese 1% también está gobernando el gobierno. There's people in our neighborhood, Hay gente in our nuestro, community, en nuestra comunidad, that are being oppressed by unjust economic están systems. Siendo oprimidos por este sistema que está mal. Some family friends of ours. Hay unos amigos de la familia lady who we love she came to this country when she was 18 years old and she didn't come to this country so that she can become a millionaire she came to this country because she was fearful where she was living and she wanted a better opportunity for herself and her young son at the time so she crosses into the US and Texas finds the first immigration officer she can and says hey This is in Spanish. I'm seeking asylum. I'm fearful for my life. I need help. Will you help me? Which is the right thing to do, right? She gets processed. They say, okay, you have a court case in San Francisco 30 days from now. Let her go. So, Imagine if you're 18 years old, you're in a foreign country, you have no money, you don't speak the language, and you're supposed to get from Texas to San Francisco in 30 days. What are the odds she's going to make it to San Francisco in 30 days? Zero. No. She can't make it to the court date, of course. So when you fail to show up for an immigration hearing, the judge automatically issues a deportation order. You never had your hearing. Now that that deportation order is there, you're illegally in the country. Now, fast forward 
18 years. Her son grew up in the U.S. Is starting to go to college. He doesn't have papers either. So I think... Oh, we can fix this. We have resources. We have money. Let's hire an attorney and let's get all this stuff just sorted out. So I take some time to try to find the best immigration attorney that I could find. I call like 10 immigration attorneys. I talk to people. We got the guy for you. So I share with the family. I got this thing. Let's have this meeting. Let's figure it out. And we're, we're going to figure out how to move forward here. We're going to solve this, right? So we get to the court. Um, we get to the attorney's office, we're sitting there, and he goes, okay, explain to me the situation. We explain the situation, and he says, okay, here's how we solve the situation. And I hope he's wrong, but here's what he told me. He said, okay, the only way for you to solve this situation is the mom has to leave the country. The son has to leave the country. Because, oh, by the way, since he didn't report to the court within six months after being 18, he gets an automatic deportation order. He's here unlawfully. Okay, so they leave the country, go back to their home, home country because they were here unlawfully they have to wait 10 years in their home country after the 10 years is up they can then reapply for citizenship or to come to the US but they have to get two waivers one for being in the country unlawfully and one for overstaying your stay. And then it depends on whether the person from the consulate had a good breakfast that morning, whether they're going to stamp the approval or not. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? Then he says, the last time amnesty was granted was in the 1980s under Ronald Reagan. He said the chances of that ever happening in this country again is slim to none. We had a democratically elected president Democratic President Obama. The Congress was controlled by Democrats. The Senate was controlled by Democrats. And we still couldn't get immigration reform through. I wonder what that feels like being here in this country, working hard 
with no opportunity of ever being able to get past where you're at. I felt like an ass. I felt like I looked down and I saw this massive diarrhea stain on my shirt and I didn't know it was there. And it's been there all along and I've been blind to it. I never saw it. There's thousands of people in our community that are in that position where we all benefit from the wealthy, the middle class, we all benefit from this whole class of people that are here but they don't have documents and they work hard and they take all the low paying jobs. I benefit from that. To those who are oppressed by unjust economic systems. To those of you here who aren't paid your fair wages. I have good news for you. God hears your cry. Your cry reaches to the ears of the Almighty God. 100% of the time, God is always on the side of the poor. He's always on the side of the weak. He's always on the side of the stranger. He is always on the side of the immigrant. As the prophets rail against Israel in the Old Testament, as they speak condemnment on Israel, one of the top three things they always speak out against is how Israel, you've forgotten the poor. You've neglected the poor. You haven't taken care of the poor. That's the job of the church. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, well, I'm not rich. Right? I'm not Bill Gates. I don't have a billion dollars. What I've earned is not off the backs of oppressed or poor people. There's no cry to God going out against me. A couple years after Bonnie and I were married, we had we had Naomi, and we were living in a you know a, a house over here in West Hills, and um, I think we may have had just had Travis at the time and Bonnie was super tired and we decided you know we're going to hire somebody to help us with the housework and with the with the laundry and stuff and I was working a lot and we had this lady that was helping she was an immigrant and we got to know her decently like we really liked her and then we wound up moving to a house three times as big in Simi Valley 
and she came over with us and was helping to clean a house that was three times bigger same amount of laundry and I was kind of earlier in my career and I remember Bonnie saying we need to pay her a lot more it's a bigger house it's more work and I had this greed in my heart and I remember not wanting to pay her a fair amount of wages and I look back on that and I'm embarrassed and I feel sad that I would participate in the oppression of somebody else just so I could keep an extra hundred bucks we need to find that lady and pair what she owes so the cries of God you know, don't, don't get me now what should giving look like in the church what is the responsibility of those who have an abundance Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 Paul actually gives us kind of a framework or he shows us what giving should look like in the church what should generosity look like now just to give you some background Paul was writing 2 Corinthians when he was in a city called Macedonia and he was gathering money from the church in Macedonia for poor believers in Jerusalem they were being persecuted the church in Jerusalem was not in good shape and Paul's trying to gather some money from churches to give to them while Paul was in Macedonia he was writing to the Corinthians and the Corinthian church had promised a year before hey we're going to give a large gift we're going to save up we're going to sacrifice we're going to give this large gift to our church in Jerusalem but now Paul's getting nervous he's getting nervous that they might actually follow through with this promise that they gave a year before so now Paul is using the church in Macedonia to encourage the Corinthians look at their generosity come on guys continue so that's kind of the backdrop here so turn with me to 2 Corinthians Chapter 8, verses 10 through 15. I'm going to read it first in English, and then Nidio will read it in Spanish. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. He's talking about the donation they promised. Last year, you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to do so now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means 
For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Now the concept here, one principle we can learn from this is that there should be equality among believers. It doesn't mean that everyone should have a big screen TV. It doesn't mean that everyone should drive the same car. But what it does mean when it's, Paul says there should be equality among the believers is that no one should be in need. Those who have an abundance or an excess should give to those in need. And when you're in need, those with an excess would be able to give to you. Think about that for a moment. That is a radical thought for our culture. What would the church in America actually look like if those with an abundance gave it away? And then you trusted the fact that, hey, when I'm in need, others are going to step up for me and share with me. Sounds like communism, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds un-American, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds like it goes everything against capitalism and the American dream. But it's right here. This is what Paul says. Those with an abundance should give to those in need. There should be equality among the saints. Why don't we see this? Why do people give so little? And I think this concept is difficult for people who have an abundance to understand. Because you can easily believe that you have it because you've earned it. You have all these possessions because of your own hard work and because of your own ingenuity. Because of your own smartness. And I could fall into that trap. I could think, wow, I have this great job because I'm so smart. But God has to remind me, no, I'm basically an idiot. Everything I have is from God. It's not mine. And the purpose why God blesses me is so that actually I can share my abundance with others. There was a time where I was feeling pretty good about myself. And I was having this meeting with this vice president of a really big company. So they had like $4 billion in revenues, a really big company. And I go into her office and I sit down 
and the, the chairs were kind of odd because the rails were low and as I sit down the armchair slid into one of my pockets and I didn't notice it was in there we have this great meeting I go to get up rip my pants off Right? I'm not this high-powered guy. My pants got ripped off right in front of a female tax director. I immediately sit back down. There was awkward silence. And then she goes, do you want a bobby pen? Anything that you have is not because of how great you are. Turn with me to Luke. Chapter 12, verse 16 through 20. Now, this is a parable that Jesus is sharing about. And the background here is a guy walks up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, tell my brother, go to my brother and tell him to divide up the inheritance. Right, this is probably a younger son. The older son gets everything first and then divides it up and the older son's kind of holding on tight. Right, he's like, Jesus, go tell him what's right to do. Fix this situation for me. Now, Jesus doesn't then go to the brother and tell the brother what to do. Jesus actually says nothing about how to divide the inheritance. But he tells the man who comes to him, he says, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Look, life does not consist of the abundance of your possessions. And then he goes on to give this parable and he says, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. I'm going to be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then will you get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Now, this is a picture 
of a man who has abundance. He has so much, he has to build even bigger barns to store it. He's not distributing it. He's going to live off this wealth for a number of years. He's going to eat, he's going to drink, he's going to be married. He's finally made it to retirement. He can finally collect seashells on the beach. But what's the problem here? Listen to this. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I will tear down my barns. I will tear down my barns. I will store my, surp my surplus grain. I, 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 I. I don't want to leave this verse without asking those of you here who have an abundance. Are you sharing your abundance? Or are you accumulating it and being greedy because of lack of trust in God? And this can extend beyond money. What about your time? What about your possessions? Okay, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 through 11. Paul gives us a picture of generosity here. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now he's sharing this with people who understood farming, right? And it's this picture of this person taking seeds and sowing the seeds. And as the sower is sowing seeds, it produces a harvest. The sower gets even more so that it can then take that seed and sow again. There are wolves in the church that will tell you there are People in the church that will tell you 
give so that you can get. If you give money, God's going to bless you financially. The more you give, the more you're going to get. If you want to buy a house, sacrifice to the church now so that you can be blessed financially by God. That's not true. We don't see that principle in Scripture. God says, give, give generously. So, so what? For what? So that when you get the increase, you can sow all that much more. And then he says, you will increase in not wealth. You'll increase in righteousness. And then others will thank God for the generosity. That's what our abundance should look like. We should have this abundance. We should be sowing it. God blesses us. We sow it again. The other principle here is that how much you give is a personal decision. In, in verse 7 he says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart. Whether you give a dollar or a hundred thousand dollars, God doesn't care about the amount. He just cares about are you being generous with what you have. And because it's a personal decision and it's something you decide in your heart, that doesn't mean that you should not seek counsel from others. I feel like that's a topic we never talk about with each other in discipleship. How much do you give? How did you determine how much to give? Is that a reasonable amount? Are you putting yourself above others or not? Those are some of the questions that we need to honestly ask ourselves. So this morning, I'd like to ask you, deep down, are you a generous person? Or do you struggle with greed? And maybe in some areas you're generous. In other areas you do struggle with greed. And what do you do if you're not a generous person? Now, I have to ask myself the same question. Same question I'm asking you guys. And with money, I think we're pretty generous. But I think over the last several months, 
in other areas I've been greedy and if I'm really honest with you lately I haven't been spending much time reading the Bible I haven't spent much time praying I haven't spent much time in investing in relationships that matter and I feel like my marriage is suffering and I was thinking this morning why why am I being selfish and it's so easy for us to say I just don't have time Right, I really I don't have enough time to read my Bible I don't have enough time to invest I'm so busy and I've met with other guys too that have told me well why don't you ever read well I just don't have time man my life's so busy but if we're really honest with ourselves, the real response is, I'm not doing that because it's not a priority. You spend your time where your priorities are. I somehow manage to take a shower every day. No matter what, no matter how busy I am, I take a shower every single day. Somehow I brush my teeth every single day. Somehow I find time to watch 10 shows on Netflix during the course of a week. But I can't find an hour to meet with Mark. What's the solution for me? What's the solution for you? In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, Paul says, God is able to make all grace abound in you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You see, I need to recognize my brokenness. I need to recognize that in order for me to do those things, I need this grace inside of me that will overflow. And then out of the overflow of that grace, I can then be transformed and I can then be generous. We need to recognize how broken and how sinful we are. We need to receive God's grace. Let that grace overflow in us and then let it spill out to others. Now, I would ask you that you guys would please pray for me. I need your prayers.
And I'm sure many of you also need the church's prayers. I would ask that we would be a church that's transparent. We would be a church that's generous. That we would be a church where people would freely give. That we could put this into practice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, God. Lord, I pray that you would change us, that you would speak to us. I pray that your grace would grow inside of us, Father. And as that grace grows, as it overflows, that we would extend that grace to others, Jesus, through generosity, Lord. I pray that we would trust in you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.